See, this life he wants to give is one that doesn't look like the world. It doesn't look like our former ways of living with selfish ambition, but one of serving our community, of loving our neighbor, of growing in him and knowing that he is worth everything. And he has so much more for you than you and I could ever imagine. This is the life he's giving because he's risen. He's risen indeed. Hallelujah. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, and that's okay because faith is not about having it all figured out and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. at the Regal Downtown West Cinema 8, located at 1640 Downtown West Boulevard. We pray this message has an impact in your life, or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Good morning once again. Uh, It is this first week, this first Sunday after Easter, and I have to begin with something super important. He is risen! He is risen indeed! Hallelujah! What a joy it is to continue to gather with you, even in this setting online. One of the things I've really loved in this time is normally when we gather as a church, we only get to gather with a small handful of people. The few of us who call the point home, who are there in person week after week, normally it's not all of us. But what's really cool about this time online is while our gathering looks different, we get to gather with the whole church. We get to gather with Christians from Germany and Christians from Minnesota and Arkansas and South Dakota and all over the country. We get to gather together as Christians, one body, to celebrate that He is risen. Easter to me feels like months ago. It's amazing how much can happen in one week. It feels like it was so long ago, but whether it feels like yesterday to you or months ago, there's this hope. This hope that he is still risen and it is still good news for you and me. God has life to give to us because he is risen, because he has overcome the grave. Now, before we proceed with this morning's message, I would like to ask you to do me a favor. I won't be able to read them right now. I'll read them later, but Emily will read and respond to some of them. I want to ask, what have you been doing to make life feel normal in this time? We just post in the comments below, what have you been doing to make life feel normal in this time? My wife and I did something really, really freeing and really, really wonderful. See, for about a year and a half, the only coffee maker we've had at home has been a single serve coffee maker. And uh, it's worked out well, it's provided us coffee, but in my normal rhythm of life, I drink way more than one cup of coffee a day. And normally when I'm at a coffee shop, I can get refills, I can go get more, and I can have multiple cups with minimal effort. We initially started out this time at home uh, just drinking out of our, our single cup. And I went through single cups so fast it wasn't even funny. So we decided to make life normal right now. We went on Amazon and we ordered ourselves a coffee pot. And let me tell you, being able to brew multiple pots at once is this beautiful life-giving moment. When you can see that there's 
all these cups of coffee waiting for you, this sweet nectar of God available to you, and you don't have to keep going back and working for it. It's just there. Life is great. Yeah, hallelujah, right? <laughs> See, this is something we've done to help feel normal in this time. Because in this time when things are different, where is this life that God has for us? Where is this life he has intended? What is Easter like when we're stuck at home? What does this mean? I don't know about your journey, but one thing that helps me feel normal is being able to pray with and for other people. So I'd like to ask you to take a moment, either right now if you're on your computer or in a little bit if you're on your phone, will you on thepointknox.com fill out one of those connect cards and let, let us know how we can pray for you. We want to be praying for you in this time and, and lifting you up and encouraging you and coming before God on your behalf that you would experience his love in everything you're doing. So we are in week two of uh, No Ordinary Life. This life that he gives to us is nothing like the life that we are used to before. And I don't know what background you come from in Christian faith, but I know when I first became a Christian, there was this idea that as soon as you become a Christian, everything changes. And unfortunately, that's not the way it normally works. I became a Christian and things kept going on sort of like normal. I became a Christian and my struggles with sin persisted. My desire to do things I knew wasn't right persisted. And sometimes in this idea of being a Christian in the life Jesus gives, we think that the life he gives is all about abandoning something else and just missing out. But Jesus isn't just calling us to abandon everything and gain nothing. He's actually calling us to life and life abundant, he says. A full life that is filled with all of his presence and his goodness and his kindness, all of his love for you and for me, and that love changes us. At the point we often say, come as you are. We believe wholeheartedly God is not expecting you to change anything to be welcomed into his family, to be invited into his presence, to know his love. But we also believe become who you are. Become someone so much more than you ever thought you could be. Today, as we look at no ordinary life, this life that God has for you and the way he's shaping and forming you and moving, even in this time, we're going to look at what life by the Spirit looks like. If you want to follow along and join me, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5 to start. In Galatians chapter 5, uh, the first half of the chapter, Paul is writing that because of Jesus, because he is risen, we are free from the law. We're no longer bound to any obligation or set of requirements or things we must do in order to get it right. We're no longer required to figure it out and make it all right, which they never were from the beginning, but they misunderstood God's law. God's law, which is his good and gracious will, the things he desires for them, became a burden. Something they thought, if only I try harder and work better, do more, then it'll be right. I can fix it. So Paul, he's writing about how we're free from this law, but we're not free to just go and live a lawless life. Just because we're free from the law, we're free from the obligation and the burden, it doesn't mean we get to go and just do whatever feels good to us. We don't get to just go and, and hurt the people we used to hurt and say, well, I'm forgiven, get over it. 
Whoops, it was a mistake. Move past it. No, we actually have a new obligation. One that is not a burden, but a response to what he has done. And in, in the first part of chapter 5, he says that our new obligation is not to live in lawlessness, doing whatever feels right, but to love our neighbor. And he concludes this section in verse 15 with this warning to the people of Galatians. He says in verse 15, You shall love your neighbor as yourself, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. See, he's writing to the church and he warns them, if lawlessness is your ideal, if you go on doing the things you used to do in a way that says it doesn't matter, I'm forgiven, watch out, you're going to become a community of people who bites and devours. Have you ever been part of a community like that? A community that's self-centered and self-serving, one that is all about what's in it for me and what do I get from this community? And when we gather together as God's people with selfish ambitions, we do a lot of harm. In fact, far too often the church, the people of God have done a lot of harm. We've hated those that we should love. We've turned against those that we should stand beside. Oftentimes we've pushed away those whose lives don't look like us because we say you're too sinful and too far gone. Paul, he warns, he says, look, if you bite and devour, you will consume each other. But then there's this switch. The second half of chapter 5, in verse 16, this is where we will begin. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, Paul, in other cases, he talks about the flesh, and in many cases, he uses the flesh as a way to describe our sinful nature. Something that many of us don't like to think about is you and I are inherently evil. Because of Adam, because of the fall, every one of us does hurtful, sinful things every day. And even when we seem to be doing our best to not do them, our thoughts and our desires are fixated on hurtful things. We are broken people, and broken people always break others. Paul often talks about the flesh, about our inner struggle to avoid the things that are ungodly and to do the things that are godly. But in this instance, he's not so much talking about you and me and our inner struggle. See, something I find unique here is when he says, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You is plural. Like all of y'all will not gratify the desires of the flesh if you walk by the Spirit. Paul, he's writing here, not talking about their inner struggle, but a much greater struggle, a communal struggle, a struggle where the people of God are not doing a very good job being the people of God, where their selfish ambitions and their motives are coming in front of loving one another. And he's writing to the whole group saying, you all, y'all have been made to walk by the Spirit. And this language of walking is used throughout the Old and New Testament to describe our life with God. 
This active, ongoing, present reality, it's not something that is passive that happened in the past. It's not something that is no longer our, our future. No, this walking with God is an active motion. God, I'm here with you and you're here with me and we're going to see what today holds and what you're going to do. He says, look, as a community, you are living not by the Spirit, but by the flesh. With selfish ambition, with selfish motives, I urge you to walk by the Spirit, to be led by God, to trust in Him and experience Him together as a people, as one community. And then he goes on with this list of uh, fleshly sinful things. And oftentimes when we read these lists of sinful actions, they can be really uncomfortable. We can read them as, as somebody condemning or calling us out, but that's not what Paul is doing here. So I'm going to read these sinful things and then we're going to talk about them. He goes on, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Bits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What a list for Paul to spell out. These sinful actions are the things of the flesh. Your selfish ambition results in these attitudes and these actions. Your selfish desire results in this kind of life as a community. These different sins, I think there are 15 listed altogether, uh, have often been divided in four different categories. The first three are sins uh, of sexual nature. Look, when we are focused on our selfishness, it manifests in sexual behavior that is ungodly, that is actually hurtful to the community, that is harmful to you and to me and us as a people. It begins with sexual immorality and then it moves on from that to sins against God, spiritual sins, idolatry and sorcery, things that separate you from the presence of God, things that are intentionally turning your focus away from Jesus and onto something else to worship, someone else instead. And then there's this section of eight sins in the middle, uh, which we'll talk more about, but this, this middle section is really unique. You see, the last two sins that he spells out are sins of excess, when we overindulge in the good things God intends for us. And there's something fascinating about the way Paul writes. See, these first five and these last two, these seven sins that he spells out here, were sins that were pretty commonly uh, in opposition to even the pagan communities. Even the pagan communities around generally had practices that said, hey, don't do these things, they're not good for the community. E even the uh, pagan communities around generally thought, hey, something's not very good here when you practice these things. But these middle eight sins that he spells out, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, these are things that weren't always opposed. In fact, they were often ignored. Paul highlights the social and relational aspect of sin. He highlights the sins that are unique, that are different. and says, look, what makes us as Christians, uh, what makes us the people of God, is not how we avoid the things other people avoid. What makes us Christians 
is how we relate to one another. See, our selfish ambition has no place in the church. In the life of the community of the people of God, this life God intends for us, there is no room for selfishness. So what is the life He intends for us? Well, He continues uh, with this verse that you've heard before, I'm sure, many times. It says this in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit... See, the opposite of the flesh, these two things in opposition and at war together, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such thing there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Paul says if these two things, the selfish ambitions that want to rule in our communities, the selfish sinful nature that wants to destroy what God is creating, if this is opposed to what God is doing, what is it God is doing? The fruit is love, joy, patience, kindness, peace, all of these things are fruits that God is creating in his people. In the book of Colossians, Paul, he prays for the people, for the church. And in his prayer, he prays that they would grow in the wisdom and the understanding of God. And this is why. So that they may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. It is Paul's desire, it is Jesus' desire, it is the church's desire that you and I, as a people together, would walk in a way that bears fruit. Jesus used this language of bearing fruit often. And one thing I love about the imagery of fruit is fruit doesn't choose to be born. Like, no apple is saying, I just want to just work harder and pop out from this little seed and become a tree. No pear is just trying to become a, a bigger, better pear. No, it's not an effort that happens, but something that happens to the fruit. See, the natural result of receiving the nutrients, the natural result of being in a healthy environment, the natural result of receiving everything necessary for growth is fruit. The fruit of the Spirit in opposition to the selfish, sinful ways of our own, in opposition to the things that destroy a community, in opposition to the things that are all about me. God produces love and joy and peace and patience. God produces these various fruits in you and in me simply by being connected to him. In John chapter 15, we're going to go there next. So if you want to turn your Bibles, John chapter 15, uh, verses 1 through 5. Jesus is preparing to die right before his death. He's talking to his disciples, and he says something really wonderful and incredibly challenging. He says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Before we continue, did you catch that? 
every branch in Jesus, every one connected to Jesus not bearing fruit, he removes. But everyone that is bearing fruit, he prunes. My dad was a gardener, so I spent most of my childhood growing up in the garden. Whenever I did something wrong, my, my consequence was often to weed the garden. Um, I spent all kinds of time in the garden. There's something fascinating about pruning. Uh, specifically, if you have like a flower bed, have you ever heard of the term deadheading? It's real simple, it goes like this. If you have flowers like roses or something, uh, when they bloom, they're beautiful, but as they begin to wilt, they continue to suck energy and nutrients from the life of the plant. And so something you can do as a gardener is you can come along with these little handheld pruners and you can clip off every flower that's starting to wilt, every flower that's starting to go bad. And my initial thought would say, well, doesn't that just mean there's no flowers? Don't you want a little bit more life out of that flower? Why would you clip that one? But there's something incredible that happens. When those nutrients, when those resources are no longer going to the dying flower, new flowers appear. And so when you deadhead a bush or a flower plant, what you're doing is you're creating space for new life to grow, for new beauty to arise where death was happening. Jesus says, look, any branch connected to my Father that is bearing fruit, he prunes. Sometimes people think becoming a Christian makes life easier. It doesn't. The truth of the matter is when we are connected to Jesus, he's going to remove things that are taking away the life he has for us. He's going to cut away that which is sapping our, our energy and the nutrients and the resources he's giving to us and say, I want to redirect it to new and healthy life that you can bear fruit. And for many of us, the pruning process isn't fun. We see relationships we've loved that begin to disappear. People who walk away we don't want to let go of, but they weren't ever that good for us. We see behaviors and actions we used to do change. Like we used to indulge in some of these sinful practices and enjoy the passions of the flesh. And now we know that hangovers are not as much fun as we once thought they were. And now we know that to be the self-controlled person, it's actually not healthy for me to eat the amount of food I used to eat. And it's not good for me. And to be this person who's able to love my enemy, it's not healthy to hold a grudge. And so though I'm owed justice, I will choose to forgive. Though I'm owed righteousness, I will choose to be gracious. See, that doesn't feel good, but it produces new life in us. Jesus, he goes on, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. To have this no ordinary life that God gives, it begins with abiding in Him. He is our resurrected Savior, our God who came and took on flesh and bore our sins and conquered death to set you and I free. Already you are clean. 
He declares you forgiven. You are His already by His death and resurrection. And now He wants to give to you life. Life that bears fruit. Over these last couple weeks, I've gotten to talk to many of you about this season. And one thing I've heard from so many over and over and over again is what a blessing it's been to be able to focus on connecting with Jesus in your personal life. Not just on Sunday morning in our gathering time, but to be forced to say, Jesus, I want to connect with you on Monday morning in my devotional life. I want to connect with you on Wednesday evening with other people online. I want to connect with your word more. I want more of you in my life. Our American church is unfortunately built in many cases, not on abiding in Jesus, but abiding in the community of the church. In many cases, we've substituted connecting with Jesus for connecting with one another. And as long as we connect with one another, we think that's enough. We have our time together and then we leave and that's it. But Jesus says that if we want to bear fruit, good fruit, these good works that are good for our neighbor, where our neighbor is drawn in to see his love because of it, where relationships are healed because of this good fruit, where we no longer live with these painful regrets, but now freed from our shame, this good fruit he wants to bear requires us to be connected to him. So how do we do that? How do we remain connected to him? Well, he's promised we can remain connected to him through his word. And even if you're not somebody who likes to read or reads very well, you can listen to his word. There are tons of resources out there to just listen to it and hear what he has to say. You can gather online with other people in this season or in person when it's possible, and you can discuss his word and talk about what is he saying in his word. Not only can you abide in him through his word, you can abide in him through prayer and fasting and tithing and all these spiritual disciplines, these practices that don't come naturally, that aren't easy, that require us to say, God, I can't do this on my own, but I want to trust you to help me with this. Even as we're apart in person, we want to help you continue to connect with Jesus. We're going to be over the next several days and weeks sharing with you Bible reading plans. If you don't have one, you can start one. We're going to be sharing with you on Wednesday night at 6.30 various spiritual disciplines, practices you can do, things you can, you can begin to experiment with at home to grow and bearing fruit, to see love and joy and peace and patience and kindness begin to be your norm. And not only on Wednesday night are we going to be doing that, on, on Friday morning at noon, actually, on Friday at noon, we're going to continue our Discover Bible study. If you would like to join us online, you can experience Jesus in His Word by getting to know a little more, what does it mean to read His Word? And, and when I'm reading it, what does it mean for me? How do I read His Word well? And then next Sunday, we're going to do perhaps the greatest thing we can do in this time. We're going to receive communion. You see, Jesus has promised that when we receive communion, we receive his very body and his blood. There's no better way to abide in Jesus than to eat and drink all of who he is as he's promised for the forgiveness of sins. 
So next Sunday after our online gathering from 12.30 to 2.30, I'm going to be at the downtown West Regal Cinema. I'm going to be out back by our storage unit. So if you've not been around back, there's a big storage unit back there. You won't miss me. You won't miss it. Uh, join me between 12.30 and 2.30 next Sunday. And I'm going to be there for a drive through communion for you and your family, whoever's in your house, and I will share with you his body and his blood and this promise of forgiveness. See, this life he wants to give is one that doesn't look like the world. It doesn't look like our former ways of living with selfish ambition, but one of serving our community, of loving our neighbor, of growing in him and knowing that he is worth everything. And he has so much more for you than you and I could ever imagine. This is the life he's giving because he's risen. He's risen indeed. Hallelujah. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are God over all things. We thank you that you create in us fruit. God, that the flesh and the spirit are at war with each other, but we as a community get to walk by the spirit the work you are doing, creating in us good things, removing selfish ambition, God, we ask you today to take away the things we do that bring harm to others. Help us at least to recognize them and lay them before you and seek you to ask you to begin creating something new in us. And God, may we bear fruit. And when necessary, may we be pruned, removing those things we've held on to for so long, that drain us of the life you want to give. And God, in this all, may we experience your life, that you are our risen Lord and Savior, the one who loves and gives infinitely more than we could ever ask for. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to continue with our time of offering, and I want to share something from last week. So, as a dad and a pastor, I often share stories of my son's sinfulness. If you've heard me preach before, you've heard about how my sinfulness comes out the most at bedtime when I'm really uh, irritated and struggle with patience for my tired kids. And last Sunday I shared that we are doing our best to have funds available to love one another in this time. For those who are financially hurting, we are doing our best to prepare to give and support and serve. And my wife sent me this text immediately afterwards. She said, clearly your offering time was very effective. Elijah was listening and he said, I want to give. It's okay with me. I want to give my money. And so last week, my son gave $1.25 online. And my daughter wanted to give a dollar. So out of their piggy banks, we took a dollar and $1.25 and they made this little gift. And I share this with you because sometimes we think giving is for those who have a lot. Sometimes we think giving is for somebody who has more than me. But the truth of scripture is God doesn't care if you give a dollar or if you give a hundred thousand dollars. It doesn't matter to him. God's desire is to have your heart and be the center of your affection and to include you in the work that he's doing to love others. And one way we do that is by giving. So if you're prepared to give today, if you're wanting to partner with us through this, you can give online at thepointknox.com. Click on that blue giving icon and there will be an opportunity to give electronically. 
If you're still pretty old school and prefer the cash or check, you can do that. You can mail a check to our P.O. box, which will be on the screen here in a moment. You can also go through a Regions drive-thru, and uh, the last four digits of our account number are here on the screen as well. You can use that to let them know the point you want to deposit into our account. You can deposit cash or check. Just send us an email at finances at thepointknocks.com to let us know you gave so we can thank you for it. However you choose to give, whatever you choose to give, know this, your giving is making a difference in the lives of people not only here in Knoxville, but all over this country. And we give not to get his love, but because we already have it. Thank you. Hey, Point. So this is the part of the, the service where I get to spend time answering your questions. We believe questions are a healthy part of faith. They help us experience God more. Now the question I'm seeing here, it looks like it came in last week, but I, I don't think I answered it last week. It sounds familiar, or sounds new. So if I answered this last week, uh, you're welcome, you get it twice. Uh, but I just wanna make sure we cover this. So the question is, what was Jesus doing in hell during those three days in the grave? Oh, that's a really good question. And there's not a common answer out there that everybody um, recognizes, but there's a few things we can suppose. It says in 1 Peter, he was proclaiming uh, freedom to the captives, uh, to the spirits captive in hell. Um, so some believe he was going to proclaim to those who had died before that he had now come and rescued them and now there was chance at life everlasting. Uh, some believe that what he was doing was actually going and proclaiming to the devil and his demons that uh, he has victory. Kind of like a victory march, a big parade after war, going in and declaring, I have won, I have conquered, it is finished together. Uh, I would say those are probably the two most common answers but there's several other ideas out there. In fact, this question of what was he doing in hell was really uh, widely discussed by the church um, for a long period of time. And ultimately they landed on, we don't exactly know what he was doing, but we know this, he has conquered death, he has conquered the grave, and he has conquered hell. And there's no power, no authority, no place that can hold us back from his love anymore. And that's a beautiful thing for you and I. Now, just double checking, I don't see any other questions that came in. So if you have a question, I'll gladly address it at some point later. I'll respond to it uh, either next week or during the week if I get a chance. Uh, I want to uh, ask you one more time, will you join us this week online? Will you connect with us and experience Jesus together uh, in this time uh, through the week? There's a lot of opportunities to say, hey, we're in this together. And if you're in a place where you're hurting financially, where you're really struggling, we would like to be there for you, to support you and encourage you and let you know that you're not alone in this time. So please let us know how we can help. Church, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Amen. Have a great week, church. Well done. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, please let us know. 
simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. at the Regal Downtown West Cinema 8, located at 1640 Downtown West Boulevard. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.